I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Uh, this is Roman Sunder uh, live with you at Rebel Radio uh, and blowing it up here on Earth and beyond. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. Hey, what's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My guest today is my man, Roman Sunder. Roman is the founder of Patau and Worlds, which are gatherings of uh, game changers, business leaders, entertainers, people that are kind of defining today's culture and, and business environments. He's had everybody from the Dalai Lama to Will I Am to uh, John Buscemi's coming up at the next Worlds. Worlds is, is coming to Los Angeles July uh, 31st. If you don't have tickets, you might want to check out worlds.us and see what it's all about. Roman's going to tell us what it's like building this leading um, gathering of, of marketing influencers and uh, how he's come to, to create this amazing career and, and life for himself. He's got some great great lessons, just really challenging himself and getting out of his comfort zone and and competing with himself, not, not with other people. Good stuff coming up from Roman Sunder right after our EDM.com track of the week.
Yeah, that was the track of the week from our friends over at EDM.com. That was, I think it's pronounced Prism, P-R-X-S-M, with the track called Can You Tell Me? And now let's get into the interview with Roman Sunday. what it is but yeah i mean let's jump into it i, I want to talk about worlds i'm i'm coming great uh, this will be my first world oh good and you know i've been it's following your journey is that right yeah You're so chapter two so i want to hear how we got there and and where it's going and uh and learn a little bit about patel as well um but maybe maybe we can start at the very beginning and uh i don't know if that's at ucla or whatever but but how did this how did you get to the place where you're building this uh, this business and life for yourself. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's definitely an honor for for you to be interested in my story um, and what we're doing. It really is, uh, especially because there's so many great stories out there, you know. Sure. Um, for me, I think it all started when my mom immigrated to America when I was five years old, and my mom. Um, you know, she was a happy and hopeful 29 year old mm. and because of uh, anti-Semitism and bigotry and lack of opportunity, she decided to move to another land with no language, no wow. job, no money, all in the pursuit of like a better life, like a, like an immigrant dream, which I think yeah. now is a commonality. Sure. You know, and it is, but I think we, we seem to, or there's elements of our society that seem to want to forget that. Yeah, I don't think you can forget that. I, I think people that forget that, but that are just clearly unauthentic, mm -hmm. and I think ultimately to 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 chart a, like a, an important path, you have to be vulnerable and authentic. So if you let go of that, who you are, yeah, that makes no sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and then so I was five, and we moved over with less than a hundred dollars, and I was like, you know, fob, fresh off the boat, <laughs> and I had like a messed up haircut and my mom dressed me in like Ross dress for less polka dot <laughs> outfits <laughs> and uh, it was embarrassing and our family moved to Orange County where everybody was cool in Laguna, yeah. Laguna Beach and Laguna Niguel we were in, like not on the beach part we're in the Niguel part sure uh and uh, they wore like awesome Quicksilver board shorts and we couldn't afford those but that was kind of like my dream and so that's where it started like our family I think like our immigrant story of all and I was Jewish and I was Russian and yeah. in Orange County, everything so whitewashed. There were like two African American kids in my school. There was two Jewish kids out of like a school of two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, my family is Russian Jewish as well. Nice. Although, although they came, you know, a hundred years ago. But so I, I never met the. She called the Russian Jewish show. <laughs> That's right. Um, from now on, only Russian Jews. Yeah. Can be on the show. You get so, like zero listeners. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> That's our goal. Turn everybody off. You guys can go now. Um, talk about something you said, because growing up without any money, which, which I did as well, <clears throat> what does that do to your relationship to, to money and financial success now? I mean, it's a huge part of um, my formula for success, which is financial freedom. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I have to like, have yachts in Central Pay. But it does mean that, you know, I have certain freedoms in my life that I can have mental. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. 
and I want to be able to have the mental freedom to be able to think creatively. And when you're struggling to pay the bills, you're thinking about how to pay the bills, not how I can think about changing the world. Right. Yeah. So to me, financial success is important for creative success. So are you conscious, like, you know, I'm sure you, like I do, have a lot of friends who came from money or, you know, sometimes a lot of money or they or just, they just never worried about money. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, to speak for myself, I always feel like there's a difference in like in what it what all that means to me versus what it means to them. Are you conscious of that? Yeah, I've, you know, both in Laguna and in New York City, yeah. I worked in um, in finance and investment banking. So I was around a lot of wealthy people and companies. And I think the question is, and I think this is a, it would be interesting to see how most people voted on this. If you had a chance to be born again, would you rather be born poor or a billionaire? Mm. It's hard to argue for being poor. Although, you know, I when think I say poor, those let's of us, say lower middle class. I, I get it. Yeah. But it, but it's hard to, you know, it's hard to argue to have less money. Um, although I think we can probably find areas in our life where that's helped us or having, you know, having overcome certain things has helped us. But, uh, you know, but yeah, that's, that's hard to like put that on yourself. Yeah, or ask another question. It's like, when do you think about, you know, where you are today, successful on your journey, whatever you call it, are you grateful for all the good things that happened to, that have brought you here? Sure. Are you more grateful for the bad things that have brought you here? Mm. The hardships? Mm -hmm. Which ones are you more grateful for? Yeah. It's a good question. It's funny. I mean, I, I think about that as, as a father because I have a seven-year-old son. And, uh, you know, we're by no means, like, set for life. But he doesn't have to struggle with a lot of the things that I did. And so, um, you know, part of me doesn't, I don't want life to be too easy for him. You know what I mean? I just, I just steal his toys in the middle of the night and, they, you know, he's kind of like, figure it out. No, but, you know, but that's a real thing to sort of think about as you, you know, in your own journey and, and certainly with family. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, those are interesting things to explore. Yeah, totally. Hey, check this out. This week and really all summer long, Rebel Radio is brought to you by Blue Apron. Uh, we've been using it for the last month or so, and we love it. By we, I mean Christy has been cooking up some of the great recipes delivered by Blue Apron while I've been uh, sitting there on the couch doing nothing. It's easy. It takes her 40 minutes or less. I sit there with a stopwatch and timer, and um, the food's been great. The uh, recipes are really flexible. We haven't had the same meal twice. Christy's allergic to shrimp, so we selected no seafood, and whoop-de-whoop, -whoop, it all works out. Um, if you don't know Blue Apron, it's the number one fresh ingredient and delivery service, recipe delivery service. So they're, they're giving you the recipes and the food to make it. Everything is portioned out, pre-prepared. All you gotta do is um, chop it up and cook it and eat it. They're making incredible home cooking accessible to anyone, even you. Check out this week's menu and you'll get your first three meals for free with free shipping just because you listen to Rebel Radio by going to blueapron.com rebel. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. Don't wait, do it now. That's blueapron.com rebel. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. So, um, so growing up that way, so where did the idea come from for Patau and Worlds? Or was that a, a, 
Well, maybe maybe just talk about what those are and yeah. like, you know, what is the journey for you overall and what are these two things specifically? Yeah, so for me for me uh my big passion is um like how culture gets shaped and culture gets shaped by youth culture. Mm. So everything I've really done in in uh investment banking, in venture capital, in entrepreneurship, I'm an entrepreneur, is probably mm -hmm. the best way to describe what I do. Um, my last company, Access 360, we'll, we built one of the largest fashion and music content networks yeah. and just started to notice that 60% um, of the world is under 30, 70% mm. in developing countries, um, Africa, South America, the Middle East. That's why there's the revolution and started mm -hmm. in Tahir Square. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just crazy for me that there wasn't a like Davos or like Allen and Company or like a United Nations for like youth culture. Yeah. But that's the future of our world and countries are getting overthrown because of it. So, and I'm one of those guys that if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? Mm -hmm. Like for me, like apathy is not an option. Yeah. So, um, on the side, we started Patel. And it was, uh, I think it was 2009. It was just a passion project of 25 people that also believed that of the power of youth culture. And our second year, you know, we grew it to 35 people and we mm -hmm. had like a broken projector. At, we had, it was at a nice hotel. It was at my friend's hotel at the time, the St. Regis in Laguna. Yeah. And, uh, but everything was broken because we didn't know how to do events. Sure. <laughs> that wasn't my experience. And then the second year, people were like, hey, are we doing this again? I'm like, well, if you guys want to come, I'll do it again. And so we did it. And then the third year, uh, we weren't going to do it because I was like the sole founder and CEO of the company. And I had a board of directors and I had top tier venture investors. Mm -hmm. And I, one of those people that I, I meet some people and they can like juggle a lot of things. They're like always doing a lot of different projects or companies. Yeah. I can never understand that. Um, to me, that's not like, not a recipe for success. I don't really find too many of those people become successful either. Mm -hmm. uh, when they have like their hand on a bunch of different stuff. I can barely do one thing well. Mm -hmm. You know, so to do two things is like really hard. Like yeah. I look at Elon Musk and I'm like, that dude is the man. <laughs> sure. Um, and so... I couldn't do Axis and Patel, and so I decided not to do Patel. Mm -hmm. And um, so what Patel is, it's a private membership. Um, uh, to be a member, you have to be a top, uh, you have to represent one of the 70 major industries that shape our world from space travel to fashion, to music, to sports, to gaming. And you have mm -hmm. to be the CEO or the CMO of one of those companies or a cultural icon. Our icons range from uh, the Dalai Lama, to Mike Bloomberg, to David Guetta, to mm -hmm. Usher. You know, it's a really broad range to Tony Hawk and Kelly Slater. Yeah. So it's kind of like this kind of cultural Noah's Ark. We like to think of it. That's cool. And um, so in our third year, I um, couldn't do both. I wasn't going to do it. I was at, invited to this random lunch at the Ritz-Carlton in Laguna Beach from this woman named Kelly Smith. And at lunch, there was this Buddhist monk. It was like her, her friend, and a monk. Uh, have you ever met a Buddhist monk? Yeah. Have you ever had a conversation with one? Uh, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. You know? Because um, yeah, yeah. you can't talk about business, right. and you can't talk about, like, what'd you do this weekend? <laughs> it's like, how are you feeling? Like, sure. what did you eat? It's like, you know, the commonalities are totally different. Right. So that was, so halfway through lunch, I realized that this, uh, this Buddhist monk, his name is Lama Tenzin, that he was the Dalai Lama's emissary for peace. Mm. And uh, so I'm like, that's cool. You know, that's like, that's close to the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and even as a Jewish guy, like for me, I'm like very Buddhist in terms of my sure. personality and mentality. 
And um, so I realized that uh, halfway through lunch that he represents his holiness. And so I had this crazy idea. Well, shouldn't his whole, I know that the Dalai Lama speaks to students in universities all the time. So I had this crazy idea. I should ask him to, if he, the Dalai Lama would come to Patel. Mm. Um, by this point, I wasn't going to do Patel. So there actually was no Patel. Mm -hmm. And so I go, hey, uh, Lama Tenzin, and I was trying to think how to relate to him. I go, you know how his, your whole, the, the Dalai Lama, <laughs> I don't even know how to say his name. Sure. The Dalai Lama, he speaks to un students in universities all the time. Yeah. And you know how those students have genes and then they have cell phones because I saw he had an Apple iPhone. Mm -hmm. and, how, and I saw the Dalai Lama got on Twitter earlier or recently. So, and you know, they're, you know, they're on Twitter and he goes, oh, yes, yes, holiness just got on Twitter. I go, incredible. I go, don't you think it would be a great idea for His Holiness to speak to the companies that are influencing all these young people? Yeah. And uh, Lama Tenzin looks at me and he goes, I'll meditate on it. Okay. But he likes to go, he, 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 I'll meditate <laughs> on it because he always giggles. Yeah. <laughs> and um, in like business, in like normal person's terms, that means like I'll think about it, which mm -hmm. is usually a no. Right. So um, he meant it literally. Yeah. 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 And uh, and a month later, I hit him up and he's like, oh, um, I think what you're doing is a good thing. I'm like, okay, that's cool. He goes, I will talk to his holiness next time I go to Dharmasala. Mm -hmm. Go, incredible. Like, he's going to talk to the Dalai Lama about me and this Patel thing. And so he, a month later, I reach out to him. Did you have a chance to speak to his holiness? He goes, um, no, his holiness is very busy. <laughs> I'm like, sure, like he's got a lot of other things to do yeah. than think about me and Patel, of course. By the way, that isn't happening. <laughs> right, right. So you're not planning no. Patel number three. No, yet. and this is okay. like September, yeah. and we usually do it in May. Yeah. Uh, but I am running my other company. And so now I feel like I'm bugging the guy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm that guy. Yeah. So September passes, October passes. I reach out to him again in October. He goes, oh, um, I've not had a chance to speak with him, but the elders will meditate on it. So I'm just trying to visualize uh -huh. like 50 elders in Dharmasala all in their like robes, like meditating whether they should do Patel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, sure, fine. But I promised myself I wouldn't reach out to him so, again because I felt like I was bugging him. So November yeah. passes, December passes, January 22nd, I get a phone call, Islam Tenzin. I already knew that it wasn't happening. So I was like just kind of talked for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, how's your family? How are your parents? I got to know him pretty well. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the conversation, I go, Lama Tenzin, by the way, did you ever have a chance to speak to His Holiness about Fatal? And he goes, oh, yes, yes, yes. I go, amazing. What did he say? <laughs> he goes, he thinks what you're doing is a good thing. I go, whoa, I literally fell. Like, I remember the only other time I fell is when I got an offer to work in investment banking uh, from uh, from First Boston. And I fell to the ground. I'm like, oh, I can't believe that the Dalai Lama thought about me and he's thinking I'm doing a good thing, um, even though it's not happening. Because uh -huh. <laughs> it's kind of like, for me, like business is like falling in love. How do you mean? Like when you fall in love with somebody and like falling out of love. Mm. And I've for me... You know, my business life and my personal life are intertwined. Okay. Uh, and when you meet the most successful people, there is no separation between business and personal life. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like a work-life harmony. I think it's fantastic. It makes my personal life better. It makes my business life better. I don't understand, like, the separation. I understand compartmentalizing things so you mm -hmm. can focus and be present. So um, I don't know how I got on that tangent. Uh, well, you're just saying, like, 
he's saying like he he likes what you're doing. Right. He likes what I'm doing, and so I think, okay, well, how you can't ask a monk a direct question. So I go, Lama Tenzin, do you think that it's a good idea that we reserve the penthouse suite at the St. Regis for His Holiness so that he's comfortable? Yeah. And he goes, yes, 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 I think it's a good idea. And nice. so after Patau not existing and the call of the ultimate Hail Mary, mm -hmm. um, he ended up joining us wow. uh, in May, like yeah. uh, four or five months later. And if it wasn't for that, there's a good chance Patau wouldn't exist. Yeah. That's a great story. So, and, there, and there's so much to unpack from that. Um, so, before you got to that point, though, how how did it start? Right, like so you had this idea, you you had your own company, and uh, and I get you, you had this idea that there should be something for for youth culture in a way that there wasn't. I'm curious because everything you're saying, like, you know, all I'm hearing is tenacity. Um, uh, uh, yeah, hustle. Yeah, you know, we call it chutzpah. Chutzpah, <laughs> right? sure. Like, to, to, to ask the Dalai Lama, most, like, most people wouldn't do that. Yeah. Right? Um, where does that come from? You know what? I think that it's a really important to learn how to be comfortable outside of your comfort zone. Mm. And so... From like a young, from my first like professional experiences, I remember I was living in New York, and I sneak into like the Variety film conference mm -hmm. with all the studio heads there, and I would force myself because I was so um, publicly shy um, to like ask a question in front of everybody, mm -hmm. and the reason for me to do it was only because I was afraid to do it, mm -hmm. you know, and so I'd always push myself to do it for the principle of being a little bit scared. Mm. You know, and that's been a constant in my life is pushing myself to be out of my comfort zone. Um, and ultimately, the, the, what you find with really successful people that are like the goats mm -hmm. <laughs> is like, how do you, how are you constantly comfortable outside of your comfort zone? So how do you do that today? Because you've, you faced a lot of those fears, obviously, you know, I can imagine building a company over, over this time period. Um, so what are those things today that scare you that you make yourself do them anyway? Oh, wow. I, well, I think, you know, creating worlds, mm. like creating something, you know, if you think about it in our lives, like I was just with, I was in New York uh, with Deepak Chopra and there, he has a new book about reality versus consciousness. Like what's reality and what's consciousness because all we're seeing is our lights through our eyes and mm -hmm. we can touch and feel things. And so the most important thing in our civilization and when you actually become, when our, when our, um, um, when we became civilized, when we actually started telling stories, like when we first humans first started speaking, it was actually gossip talking mm -hmm. about like, look at that person that that person did or just groaning, grunting. Mm -hmm. But then saying like father, mother, fire, home, village, town, city, country, religion. And mm -hmm. so actually everything in our lives is storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're creating a new story and in our case, creating worlds, you're creating something that's never existed before. Mm. So I think it's the ultimate, and it's not just worlds, but anytime anybody creates something new is very profound because you're creating something that's been imagined in your mind and you basically um, push that into the world. Mm -hmm. So whenever you do that, uh, and for us, the most important thing that I've learned also is that you can only achieve what you can dream. So when you have a dream, 
make that dream 10 times bigger mm. and then go after that dream. And that's why it's called worlds mm -hmm. because we want uh, worlds to be bigger than this world. Mm. You know, so what does worlds look like on Mars? You know, so that's what we That's how I tend to think about things. That's sure. how I get our team to think about things. I learned that from our icon and our Titan members. The commonality when I talk to them is have a dream, make it 10 times bigger, then go after that. Because otherwise the most valuable thing you have in your life is your time. Mm -hmm. And so how do you want to be spending your time to be average and do things that everyone else is doing? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to be epic and do things that someone, no one's ever done? I want to do epic shit. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. That's great. So, but that's come, you could, it's easy to say that, mm -hmm. but then you actually have to hustle. Then you have to put the hours in. So yeah. it's uh, like everything's new. So at, at every turn, whether it's, you know, what our master courses are, what our main stages are, what our, our first, like, you know, when we got, you know, Tony Hawk there last year, when we got Cascade there last year, when we got Quincy Jones there last year, you know, asking them to be a part of something that's never been, never been created was like a very bold move. Um, and, um, you know, you just have to believe it and then you have to back it up with your feet through action. Mm -hmm. So, so explain how worlds is, so Patau is now... How, how many years old? Uh, so, Patel, we're actually going into our 10th year. It's okay. only 250 people. Yeah. It's been a capped community for the last four years. Um, it's now the most influential community of minds and brands that's ever been assembled in the world. Uh, it's a huge privilege uh, for us to be a part of it. Um, us and our Patel members are the ones that created worlds mm -hmm. because they wanted a place for themselves and for other epic people. Mm. Because although Patel is intimate at 250 people, there needs to be a huge echo in, ter the, in terms of the type of work that we're doing. We're helping um, everybody from um, Fox create the next version of the World Cup. We help mm. the Olympics create the new platform for the Olympic Games. We work with David Blaine creating the new world tour for Magic. And so we can have such a greater impact on that through the world's community. Cool. So that's how it got created. So what Worlds is, it's really kind of like, think of it as like Patau on steroids. Okay. It's even more fun and more inspiring and everything's just bigger. Mm -hmm. Because what we wanted to do is our goal, if we're going to do something, we wanted to make it to be a multiple of how good Patel is. Mm -hmm. We didn't want it to be like a side thing. We want it to be even more epic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something that stands out. Um, you know, I, I came to the, the thing you did at CES with uh, Cirque du Soleil. And, um, you know, like... At the heart, what you do is a conference, right? But it's clearly much more than that. And, and I think that, you know, that was my first time in, you know, I'd, I'd seen like, you know, I'd heard of Patau and I'd seen the website and that kind of stuff, right? And I know people, you know, friends that belong. But, um, but like without it being explained to me, you know, sitting in that Cirque du Soleil theater, like I instantly got that this is not like a conference like Davos or, or whatever, right? Where, uh, you know, where it's just about panels and keynotes and the cocktail hour, right? So can you talk about how, why is that, why is it important? And, and how do you, how do you think about that? How do you, how do you bring, you know, the entertainment into what you're doing? Yeah, uh, I think it's like the classic you know, entrepreneurs like passion, which is what's the problem? Mm. The problem is that 
conferences suck. It's the wrong people talking about the wrong things, and it's people that just want attention, and they're on the circuit. Yeah. So when I'd go to these things, I was like, already like the biggest takeaway I'd have was like, oh, I already know that. Like mm-hmm. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know how you yeah. go to those? Always. And people deserve better. <laughs> like especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're a marketing marketer. Yeah. Like you deserve to be tapped. Um, you you deserve to be have your imagination tapped into. You know, you're in a creative business. Mm-hmm. So for me, like the higher purpose and uh, the privilege and the honor of hosting people, think about like the profound um, honor of being able to you to come into something that we're cre- like I'm creating for you mm-hmm. and how I can value every minute of your time for it to be valuable, right? Because it's that whole thing of what you say. It's not what you say or not what you do. It's how you make people feel. Mm-hmm. And my passion in life is to make people feel um, the uh, ability to do what's never been done before. We call it the NBDB. And so it's a, it's to create human transformation. It's to allow people to have a creative awakening mm-hmm. because when you open up your mind, then you are in a realm of endless opportunity. So it's just messed up that you go to a conference and the best thing you learn is like, I already know all that stuff. Right. So to me, it was just broken. Yeah. And so I, me, my team and I for five, six years never even had like an events person on it. Mm. You know, it was all just entrepreneurs and creative people. Mm-hmm. Like what would we create for ourselves and our friends? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what we don't call what we do as a conference. Right. Or we definitely call it like an experience or a summit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we create uh, um, a story for people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a song, like there's a beginning and then it builds and then it drops and then it peaks. And it, we, we create an, an emotional journey for people. Um, now, it's not Burning Man where it's just like or a music festival where it's just fun and people escape life. We actually want to do it where it revolves around your work mm-hmm. because you spend so much of your life around work. So it's not just fun. We like to think it's meaningful fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Because now the people you're you're around are people that can really accelerate your creative ideas and your business growth. And to me, that's more valuable. Well, it's not more valuable. You need both. Sure. You know, I just got back from Coachella too. So it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We need both. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel the same way about conferences and I think, you know, it's, it's mostly such, such a wasted opportunity. The other thing is it's so messed up that you go to a conference and then no one ever goes back. The speakers don't come back. The right. attendees don't come back. Yeah. It's a waste of time. Honestly, it's like a pure ego play. And so that's why we don't do conferences. Even with some, it's like What we do is everything we do is a community. Mm-hmm. So when you went to Cirque du Soleil, that was a stop along our year-round community tour. Mm-hmm. We just did one in... Um, I think you were there at Soho, at Soho, Soho yeah. House with Andy yeah. Walsh. Yeah. So that's another, you know, I think every month or a couple times a month, we, we were just in New York um, at WeWork and we did something with Werner, mm. who's the, the new chief engagement officer of uh, Samsung, talking yeah. about storytelling. And tomorrow we have another one um, that we're doing with an organization called Gen X, and it's with a guy named Sebastian Copeland, mm-hmm. who's one of the top Arctic explorers in the world. Cool. And so that kind of tour continues. So again... I think what you want is, you know, people need a community of like-minded people and they need a movement. And so that's what we're creating for people is for them to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. For us, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than my company. It's bigger than um, our members. It's it's a global impact that we're having on people's kind of creative opportunities. Mm -hmm. How do you get... um you know, the people that you're trying to attract on, on both sides, both as, as attendees, members, and speakers, right, um, have, have huge demands 
on their time and money, right? And their their creative resources and all of that, right? And and there's you know there's other people um, approaching the same problem, maybe in different ways, right? But whether it's Aspen or Davos or Summit Series or TED even, right? Um, so how are you? You know, how do you think about that sort of competitive environment, and how do you, you know, what's the, how do you create a reason for people to want to invest their time and money in this? Yeah. So I'm not a competitive person. First and foremost, like I don't want ever, I don't ever want anybody to lose when I'm doing something. Mm -hmm. To me, that just, you know, we're all one consciousness. If you lose, I lose. Mm -hmm. So I don't really understand the concept of competitiveness. I do understand the concept of being the best. Okay. okay. If I'm going to be involved in something, I want to be the best in the world. Like that's, and my team, I want our team to be the best in the world. That gives you confidence. It gives you pride. It gives you a chance to do epic things. Mm. Doesn't mean I don't want anyone else to do epic things also. I just, you know, we're, so we're racing with ourselves mm -hmm. and we know obviously who's out there to us show the action around that because worlds is open source is that we're actually partnered with Aspen and Ted and summit and so house and all those other communities. Yeah. So we actually want everybody there. And I actually love it when people take our ideas mm -hmm. because we are inspired by other people. And what we've seen in other places is give us our ideas to like, we get a lot of ideas from music festivals, mm. whether it's burning man or Tomorrowland or Coachella or um, other creative festivals around the world. And we go on a couple creative adventures a year and um, honestly, we've gotten some of our best ideas from other people and other experiences, and it would be a shame for us not to share it with others. So we hope others take our ideas. That's cool. I know people are protective about their ideas, uh, but um, I don't think, I, I think that selfishness won't, doesn't work. I mean, I've, I've always felt like the, the ability to pull off an idea is what really counts. And yeah, I can, you know, I'll, I'll give away all my ideas for free. Right. And, uh, <laughs> because <clears throat> it doesn't matter right? and even with our members like we offer our members to uh to everyone from summit to festivals in canada to uh events in in finland um mm -hmm. we're always like you know how can we help our first question is how can we help hey if you're enjoying this one go back in the rebel radio archives check us out on itunes or on soundcloud look for my interview with jennifer cashel Jennifer is, um, we, we taped that one live uh, in Los Angeles. That was our first live event. And Jennifer had some great stories of how she built your success network or the Young and Successful Network. It's uh, career resources for young people all over the world. And she does consulting for Fortune 500 companies on how to hire and, and work with young people. Great stuff in that episode. And uh, make sure you finish up with Roman Sunder before you do anything else. So imagine, you know, now doing Patel for 10 years. <clears throat> Some parts of that might have, must have gotten much easier. Um, what hasn't gotten easier? I think the thing that hasn't gotten easier is the, the challenge to attract the most influential people in the world. Um, <clears throat> because I think, if you know, for a lot, I'm sure you're this way, you're like, you know, okay, I'm going to go there and just check it off my list. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been there. Like, I kind of sure. did that with, with Burning Man. I went to Burning Man. I'm like, okay, I don't need to go for a couple of years. Yeah. I'm going to parachute back in at some point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's not lost on us that our members have more influence than most global heads of state. So we treat them as such. Mm -hmm. 
um, because of the impact that they have, we know that our outreach, every single point of communication that we have with them and year round is meaningful. And the experiences we create for them need to be the best in the world. And so our job is to create like the best experience on earth for business people. You know, we can't compete with people having children and <laughs> going, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> going to Amalfi on their vacations. Right. That's epic. But yeah. from a business standpoint, it's having that um, <clears throat> level of excellence, center of excellence, mm -hmm. to continue to increase the caliber and prestige of the community. Mm. So that never gets easy. Are there, is it like a conscious thing to, to raise the bar for yourselves? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, our, our thing is we try to leave everything on the field. Mm. Like, if we have an idea, we don't try to save it for later. Mm -hmm. We were like, we're going to, like this year at Patel and at Worlds, um, it's taken us a couple of years, but we finally got Travis Pastrana and um, Nitro Circus mm -hmm. to do like a live stunt show over, over like lunch. Wow. And they do like motorcycle, like backflips, like, like, you know, something that's never been done before. Um, so we're always looking. I have someone on our team that's the head of WOW, mm -hmm. and their job is to purely to go out and find the most inspiring um, experiences around the world. Wow. <laughs> wow out of you. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Where does, so where does that idea come from to, to hire someone, like to hire that position? <laughs> uh, just not, like not being a victim <laughs> of like legacy thinking. <laughs> yeah. You know, so... For me, it's just like in our team and my co-founder, Jim Sullis, uh, who's the head of creative, and he's the one that creates all the creative at, at Worlds uh, for us. to. I mean, last year we got the Goodyear Blimp. Uh, we got last year at Worlds, um, we had the Red Bull Air Force mm -hmm. do a nighttime fireworks dive over the 405 freeway and live and land on site. It's killer. Yeah. So we want to be known for, so when you see that, you literally think like aliens are coming. Mm -hmm. And what that does to like, like now imagine you're actually thinking like something that's impossible is happening. To open up the mind to that creative space to, of imagination, you all of a sudden start thinking differently. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to do. We want people to start thinking differently. Um, and so every minute we, we kind of manage how everyone's experience is. What's been the hardest part of this journey i think the hardest part is and probably should be um retainment and recruitment of team mm. so for me the, uh, this is like i'm here but like i visualize like my you know 25 person team behind us mm -hmm. because they're the i'm inspired by them constantly mm -hmm. i know what i'm good at i know what i'm bad at and there's a few things that I'm good at <laughs> and the rest of this stuff. Um, if it isn't, wasn't for our team, none of this would be possible. And so the most challenging thing is, like I learned this from the team over at Andreessen Horowitz, is A's attract A's and B's attract C's. Yeah. So I just want to be around A's. First of all, I want to be an A. You know, I want to be, um, you know, someone that others want to work with mm -hmm. and collaborate with. And uh, from like world leaders to world shapers, and I want our team to even be better than I am. Like, I always want to be the dumbest person in the room. I want to ask the dumb questions. I love it when I don't have to say anything in meetings. I love mm -hmm. it when all the ideas come from the rest of the team. I love it when um, I can lead from behind and I don't have to make decisions. And the fact is, is that the most important decisions at any business, 60 to 70% of them should come from the bottom up. So how do you, how do you measure yourself? Like, 
when you talk about being an A, <clears throat> we're often not great judges of our of ourselves. Um, so how, how do you measure that? Well, like I kind of have a, a little bit of a formula. I'm like a life hacker geek. Mm -hmm. So one, I think you have to start with like obsession. You know, do you love what you do? And you have to look yourself in the mirror and you're like, am I faking it or do I love this? Yeah. Okay. So that's a first start. Two, you have to put in more hours than anybody else. You know, like this morning I started working at 6.30. Mm -hmm. By the time I even get to the office, 10 o'clock, 10.30, I've already had a half day full of work, a focus. Um, I always have a list of like things that move the needle mm. because work for work's sake is just a waste of time. Sure. I try to tell my team that. So I always have like what are like top three or five bullets are going to move the needle on what I need to accomplish. And if I know those are the things that move the needle and I know the hours I'm putting into doing those things, then I'm, you know, I'm going to be successful or I'm going to fail, but I'm going to fail my way into success. Mm -hmm. So for me, failure is like a really important tool, you know, and because we're creating something new, we, for every three failures we have, we have one success. And so uh, I think it's really important to give people the permission to know that if, as long as they have that obsession, as long as they're putting in the hours, as long as they're focused, then it's okay to fail and it's necessary to fail. And you need failure. And I can, I can give endless examples of the most successful people in the world using failure as their biggest motivation. Is, is, there, a, is there a failure that stands out that you got the most out of? Um, I start probably, I mean, as far as, as, as recently as I'd say seven years, I was, I started a company called Mob Mobile mm. and I was, my last company was around retail. So I, I felt like I had a good grasp on what's happening in, in the retail industry and what's happening with mobile. Obviously everyone's talking about mobile. So I started a company that you know, basically aggregated um, mobile locations, kind of like a Foursquare type thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it failed, you know, for a number of different reasons. And, um, and it, was, it was a terrible experience. When, you're, when I was going through it, I'm a, 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 I would say a lot of my self-confidence and my ego, or hopefully lack of ego, is, has to do with work. Mm -hmm. So I need to feel that I've got... Um, a success or a path towards success with work or I lose a lot of self-confidence. I don't know if, if that's the case for other people. I'm sure it is. So when I failed at that, and it, I, at the, at, I was probably 37, 38 years old, mm -hmm. like that hit me really hard because I felt like I was, and I didn't know what I was going to do after that. And I felt like I, I lost my passion. And that's why I think work is like love. It's like when you're in love with someone and someone breaks up with you. I remember when I was 27, like this girl, Perrine, she really broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I was devastated. And although we were going out for six months, she, it took me a year to get over her. And I actually had to go to <clears throat> magic school to really get over her. Magic <laughs> That's school. a whole different story. Wow. Um, but to kind of distract myself. And now that I look back, it was one of the best things that happened to me. And the same thing well, would you got happen to go to magic school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's one of the things for uh, sure. Yeah, that's amazing. And so when I failed at Mob Mobile, um, I kind of hit a low and I felt hopeless. And to me, the worst feeling in the world is hopelessness. And when I felt that and I didn't know what I was going to do, um, I was really lost and out of love and didn't see a path forward. Mm -hmm. And um, that was probably the last time that I had like a significant failure. Um, that gets me emotional. 
uh, versus daily failures that you just overcome? Well, if I ever get divorced, I'm going to magic school. <laughs> um, I have a, there's a question I want to ask you here. And the reason I went to, because it was right when David Blaine came out with the street magic. Mm -hmm. And so I was walking down Third Street Promenade and I saw this dude doing street magic. He was like yeah. le levitating like a Heineken bottle. Yeah. Like between his two hands. And I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. After the show, Third Street Promenade street performer. I go, you're so incredible. How can I be your apprentice? No way. Yeah. Like for me, everything's like one big movie. Like, of course you have to be an apprentice for a magician. Sure. He goes, kid. I wasn't a kid. I was like, oh, no, no, this is after the release. I was 27. Yeah. He goes, that's not how it works. You yeah. can't be my apprentice. Um, but I can get you an interview at the Magic Castle. And so I got an interview at the Magic Castle and went to school there. Nice. Do you still do magic? Sometimes. Yeah. That's cool. Street magic, that's my favorite of his, yeah. his shows. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And so it was a huge honor when um, he's actually become a, a very active member of yeah. Patau and yeah. involved in the world. So. That's cool. Um, I know these are questions you ask. Uh, so I want to ask you, what are you most inspired by? Uh, I'm probably most inspired by my mom. You know, to think back, being 29 years old and having a family and having nothing and moving to another land um, across the world without anybody uh, I mean, think of just moving from your city, you know, with resources. So I'd say I'm most inspired by my mother, about her courage. Mm. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of a constant in my life. And she works at the company. She works oh, no way. She works with us. So oh, so cool. I see her more often. That's amazing. Which is cool. Yeah. She lectures me all the time. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday I was sitting in my office. She goes, do you know this, this, this that you're doing? I'm like, now I do. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask something you said earlier. Um, you know, you seem to be in touch with, with what you're good at and what you're not good at. What, what are you bad at that you had the hardest time giving up? Giving up, for example? Like letting go of, letting someone else do it. Oh. Dramatic pause. I like it. Got suspense building up. Yeah. I think that one of the things is like at, at Worlds, we kind of have a um, a really great membership team, and I spend less time on membership. I've actually tried to pull myself out of membership completely. Mm because um it's not about my friends you know this is like a business and so i want we need objectivity when it comes to memberships um at worlds and at patel so one thing that i really enjoy is obviously sp spending like getting people to come become part of our community mm -hmm. and instead of being being me being on the front lines of that i'm now kind of retreated from that and spend more time on uh, the creative experience mm. which is still really fun for me yeah. And then putting a team in place that it can kind of kind of speak to the soul of what worlds is is uh, and getting that message out to the world is something that I've probably had to let go of. 
um, that w what I really love um, and shifted my focus on other things that I can help move the needle at the company. It's mm. cool. It's cool because because I think it, you know as an entrepreneur there's this ongoing process of like letting things go, right? That that and I, I've had to remind myself and and people I work with that um, you can't get to the next thing if you're still holding on to the old thing, right? There just won't be enough time in the day or enough mental space or whatever. Yeah, there's um, there's the when uh, Astro Teller, the head of Google's X. Mm. He's um, a super inspiring guy, obviously. And he's obviously there. He kind of pursues all the moonshots. Mm -hmm. And what he calls it is, he goes, it's killing your darlings. You have mm -hmm. to kill your darlings. Because even though you're like, let's say you're like, let's say, for instance, we're really excited about creating Worlds Europe. Yeah. But we're not ready for that because it'll take our focus away from like Worlds United States or Worlds right. North America. So even though you're really passionate about something, if it doesn't fit into like the logical strategic vision, you have to kill your darlings. Mm -hmm. And nine out of ten darlings you have to kill or else the one thing you're going after is going to suffer. Yeah, I think that's really hard, especially for successful people, right, who, who have been conditioned to believe that they can do things, right, to, to have confidence. And so I, I think it's really hard to say, you know, because I, I think it's really easy to rationalize and you know, build your argument for yourself of why this is a good idea to go do this now, even though maybe it's not. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's a really great point for two reasons. Number one, when I was at Access, and after that I started Mob Mobile, it was in the same space, in the yeah. same industry, and it still failed. Mm -hmm. And I was probably, you know, put in more hours than most people trying to figure out that problem. Sure. Yeah, and you were probably better qualified. Than... And I was overconfident. Right. Like, it was the first time I had, like, a really big failure. And uh, to me, that was... Uh, a huge, like, it was very humbling and it was a really great learning lesson. And then I, I kind of kept that lesson at heart when we, even though we had Patel launching Worlds, even Worlds is also a community and a summit. Mm -hmm. It's still a very different type of um, community and a summit. And so to be overconfident that you, there are things that you're going to get wrong that you think you're going to get right sure, um, is going to happen. So the person that's going to suffer the most is that leader. I truly feel that even though you've had successes before, does not mean at all that you're going to have a success in the future. And as a matter of fact, if you're overconfident and you feel like you have a talent for it, you're that's a higher percentage that you're going to fail. Right. So you really have to think of like a scrappy startup person that, and I have plenty of friends that have like had huge exits and have, have built great companies and they try something new and it completely fails. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, there are a lot of leadership organizations also that, you know, that's why a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to build this business and I'm going to sell it. Right. Like, I don't really buy into that because for people ask me, like, well, what's the exit strategy or something like that? I go, like, for me, it's like death. Like, I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. You know, so for me, the mission isn't about the money. I think whenever you're building something, you have to do something that's bigger than yourself. You almost have to say, like, you know, I can't not do it, mm -hmm. that there's no one else in the world to do it. Mm -hmm. And if you get to that point in your own life and in your team's life, then that's when you found kind of your calling and you found your passion, you find your obsession. I think a lot of people are always searching, like, how do I find people ask me often, like, I don't I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a passion. I haven't found my passion. How do you find that? Yeah. I think there there is a little bit of a, a uh, of a road to that. Mm -hmm. What's the next challenge you're facing? Well, the next challenge is to put together um, with 
the journey that we're on for chapter two of Worlds. Mm -hmm. So Worlds is um, a summit and a community where we're uniting today's superstars, people that are the most uh, that are the best in the world in their crafts. This year we have everybody from Tony Robbins from Personal Development to Kelly Slater for Surf and the Environment mm -hmm. to um, Will I Am for philanthropy and entrepreneurship and music, obviously and uniting them with the rising stars, the people that are going to be tomorrow's leaders to kind of create the world of tomorrow. <laughs> you know, so we think about from that level. Um, it's a 10 year journey. And so last wow. year was chapter one because people need a journey. Yeah. Uh, chapter one, the maiden voyage. Uh, it was the most successful launch for a community and summit. Um, we, we, we kind of were, we were going to cap it at 500. We ended up being at about 800 people. Uh, this year we're going into chapter two. And so it's chapter two, losing sight of the shore. Okay. Because whenever you go on any great adventure, you yeah. have to let go of the known and the familiar, and you have to go to uncharted lands mm -hmm. and new destinations that get you out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so that'll take us to chapter three and chapter four and all the way to chapter 10. And the whole point of that is to create the most important cultural moment on earth or beyond. Um, and a lot of people ask me, you know, well, why should I go to Worlds? Like, what's what? What am I going to discover there? Sure. Uh, one thing is one of those things you just got to go. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like Burning Man. Like, you can't explain. You just got to go. But I've been saying that about it, Coachella from the beginning. Like, yeah, you just got to go. Yeah. Um, so it's usually when a friend of yours tells you that, that's when I usually go to things. But the value, and because it's very driven, we have a lot of companies there, so it's there's the ROI word. Mm -hmm. And so one, it's for leadership development. Like imagine what you can learn about being a leader from Tony Robbins. <clears throat> yeah. Right? Two, it's about being better at your craft, being better at your job. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you're with the top luxury fa fashion professional from LVMH. Imagine if you're with the top uh, person from MasterCard, Raja, who uh, focuses on the future of payments. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's credit cards or Bitcoin. Imagine if you're learning from the best person around music, what the future of music is in the handshape and culture. So how do you be better at your job, whether it's marketing, innovation, product, and also how you can be better at your life. Like we have Jim Quick, who's uh, Elon Musk's brain coach. Oh, wow. And so he helps you with like life hacks. How Crazy. can I read faster? How can I be more efficient? How can I get more out of my time, my personal time, professional time? And then the third reason is to find your most important friendships. Mm and your business partnerships. So we just have so many partnerships that happen out of worlds. And when you create those partnerships, whether you do it on your own from what you've learned or you partner with somebody else, like we just helped Nike partner with National Geographic to do a, um, a series on the first marathon under two hours. Oh, yeah. So that's something, for instance, that, that was birthed through Killer. us. And um, so that's how culture gets shaped. That's what we're doing for the World Cup and, and other places. So those are the three things that you're going to get out of it. And everything we do is our goal is to be 10 times better mm -hmm. uh, than anybody else or be different. Mm -hmm. So it's not a normal type of um, experience. And um, the feedback that we got from last year was it just, you know, the testimonies were, like, you know, it just kind of changed my life. Yeah. Of course, there are people that it wasn't for them. Sure. But for the most part, it was we were kind of really for the for the mistakes that we made, the things that we did right were uh, we were really stoked about. What have you found? So like. Anybody listening, you know, thinking about whether they should apply, right? Um, what What is, as you said, it's not for everyone. Some people may come and, you know, it's, and, and so who is it for? I think it's for people that are, um, um, are bold. I think it's for the innovators. It's for the dreamers. It's for mm. the rule breakers. 
It's for the people that believe that with enough effort and will, it's like Steve Jobs says, they can put a dent in the universe. I think if it's for people that want to stay in their comfort zones, mm. it's not for them because yeah. we're going to force you out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. in a really positive way. We're going to force you how to be the best. So if it's for people that want to be average, it's probably not for them. If it's for people that want to be the best, then we only have the best. Mm -hmm. You know, again, A's attract A's, B's attract C's. We have almost 200 titans and masters that'll be there. That's kind of the greatest collection of like minds and influencers and brands that's ever been assembled. And that's just in our second year. Yeah. So what I feel is like it's really important for people to kind of jump on this journey early so that they can do year two, year three, sure. year four. And I think when they come out of it and look back the same way that we look back at Patel 10 years, like the people that are part of it have in a lot of ways been transformed yeah. to be the best versions of themselves. I mean, I love the way you talk about that because, you know, I've, I've attended, I don't know, hundreds of conferences and spoken at dozens. And, and I often feel like there's no reason for me to come back to this. Right. And at the same time, I'm conscious of the fact that like uh, the benefits come down the road. Right. And, and, you know, when I work with brands, it's the same thing that like, hey, if you're going to sponsor this music festival once, you might as well not even do it. Right. But make a five year commitment or a, or a long term commitment to this culture and this community. And that's when it starts to pay off. And uh, so I, uh, to me, that's absolutely the right approach. Yeah. Our biggest metric for success are like how long people are members. Yeah. And on average, we find people are members for five years. Yeah. And that's really important because otherwise you're wasting your time. Sure. You know, you go there once, you, you're out of it. But I think that the real value does come in like year three and year four. Mm -hmm. When you're working with people that are, better, the be that are the best in the world and you become friends now. Mm -hmm. So business can really change. I think um, because we deal at the very highest levels, we see people come in with pitches and they don't know the people they're pitching right. to. Yeah. And it's just a business conversation. Yeah. And I think to do epic things, like you can't have a business conversation. What you first have to do is develop a friendship mm -hmm. and a respect for each other and, a, um, and empathize with each other where you're coming from. Only when you're friends, you know how you're friends with people and you're like, gosh, what should we do together? Right. But now imagine 100%. if you're friends with someone and you could actually do like epic shit with them. Yeah. So the secret formula for what we do as world is for people. That's why I said like friendship first, because when you're friends and you're already surrounded by the most influential people, then the things that can happen out of it are just pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we've done the hard work. We've done the hard work of bringing together all 70 industries, the best of the best, so that the members that become part of Worlds can really get the most out of it, which goes back to when I used to go to these events. It was like the wrong people talking about the wrong things. Absolutely. Here it's the right people with a curriculum that's never been created before, so that, and you actually have like a toolkit that you leave with that if you follow, you're going to be successful and then you can even take back to your teams. So as you can see, like I get really fired up because I it. it's, it's a, it, I can help uh, and our communities can help people develop as people and as professionals. Mm -hmm. That's great. All right. I have a little speed round before uh, they kick us out of here. Um, uh, before we get to that, I have one last question. What do you think has been the biggest sacrifice you've made to get where you are? I think the the biggest sacrifice I've made is not allowing mediocrity into my life. Like I don't have any 
sacrifices now. Like for me, I love working hard. I love putting in the hours. I love my obsession for what I do. Sometimes you almost feel guilty because like even the word obsession like is mm -hmm. kind of sure. not PC. Right. But sorry. Yeah. You got to be obsessed to be the best. Um, and so I would I would say that giving myself the permission to be able to go after being the best and creating that for other people. If I can't do it, like I can't, we can't create that for other people. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, not allowing like average things into my life when it comes to, you know, doing things. And what we find, the reason why we attract such, such great minds and, and the time of people is because I think they appreciate the level of excellence that we try to create for them. And yeah. That's great. I love it. Okay. So, um, if you can go back and give one piece of advice to yourself at 18, what would you say? I would say that, number one, because even up until, if you think about Patel, like it didn't start until I was like 35. Mm. Uh, and so the piece of advice that I would give myself is don't follow the rule book. Don't follow what your friends are doing. Don't follow what your family wants you to do. Don't mm. follow what your peers are doing, what other professionals are doing. Um, don't follow the rule book. Follow your heart. Take time to pause and think about and reflect on what you love, what gives you goosebumps, what gets you excited. It doesn't mean that you're going to get it right away. Mm -hmm. But as long as you follow, it's not a straight line, but if you follow the, the curvy road to where that is, one day you would, and it might take 20 years, but one day you'll be like, wow, I followed what I love and that that's why I'm here. And if there's no way you could have reverse engineered it versus if you do what your parents wanted you to do mm -hmm. or you do what your peers wanted to do or you do what the colleges wanted you to do, what your rule book wanted you to do, all of a sudden you become a different person. Yeah. You know, your, your destiny is when um, the world's greatest need and your greatest talent meet. To be able to have that talent, you need to have that type of passion and obsession in your life. So if your family tells you you need to be a doctor and you're not obsessed with being a doctor, you're living somebody else's life. Yeah. You're living somebody else's consciousness. So the only rule, I would give myself a number of rules. Number one is pursue the things that you love. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is be focused. Don't get distracted by too much um, partying. Don't get distracted by too much social media. Yeah. Don't get distracted by things that aren't going to really move the needle on your life. Because if you get distracted by doing all those other things, one day you're going to end up at a place where you're not happy with where you are in your life. Sure. Because you don't have the discipline to be able to make the tough choices or to just to not do certain things. Mm -hmm. So I would also say, you know, give yourself the freedom to have discipline. You know, it's okay to create certain boundaries depending on what you want to achieve in your life. You know, whether it's starting a family, whether it's building a business, being an entrepreneur isn't for everybody, whether mm -hmm. it's like being at a company. Mm -hmm. um, a, a, another thing I'll add is, um, you know, meeting the most, among the most successful people, uh, there's a, you know, there's kind of rules that I learn mm. and those rules I want to share with others. And so that's why I'm grateful to be on your show here and share that. And the other thing is to be successful, there's three types of people. There's people that are always asking you for things. Mm -hmm. Those people are never successful. There's people that are, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you, tit for tat. Mm -hmm. Those people are marginally successful. But the other people that are the most successful, um, 
are people that are irrationally generous. Mm. And the most successful people I've met, whether they're financially successful or passion successful, they have an irrational capacity to help other people. Not p- people that don't appreciate and take advantage of it, sure. but for people that can help them in their lives. And to be irrationally generous towards people that can help your personal life or your professional life is probably one of the most important things that you can do. I love that. I love that uh, phrase, irrational, irrationally generous. That's great. The person that came up with that is Adam Grant. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he wrote a book on generosity. Oh, cool. Is there another talent that you have always wished you would had more of? I probably wish I could sing. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. And actually at Worlds, we do have a guy named Roger Love, huh? who's the world's, among the world's best voice coaches. Oh, like no He's way. coached like Taylor Swift. He teaches executives. Because, you know, do you like your voice? Not particularly. Okay. But when you talk to someone, what's the first thing they hear from you? Yeah, they hear your voice. And you're into media and branding. Right. How important is sure, that to who you brand. are? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So that's what he told me. I'm like, oh, shit, like, that's important. <laughs> yeah. So I still uh, haven't gotten good. to a point to be a, a great singer. but that There's be cool. an argument. I've, I've read. I got some dance moves. I've read that, that everyone can, can sing. Everybody right? can do can anything. Yeah. Well, like, that's not any, like yeah. literally anything. Yeah. I mean, some people like, you know, Tony Gonzalez might have like a bigger wingspan sure. so he can jump higher. Right. But, you know, there's a whole concept around talent that was overrated. Yeah, I yeah. believe that. Talent could be a, a curse, totally. and anybody can do anything. Yeah. Um, okay, so if I worked for uh, Patower Worlds, um, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Uh, centers of excellence. Okay. I would say that. Right. I would say that. I would say um, that find a mission. Like I want everyone on the team to feel like we have a mission to do something bigger than ourselves. Two, I want them to feel like they've got um, autonomy. Mm. Uh, so that they can make decisions on their own, although it doesn't seem like it all the time. And three, they should also, I feel like everyone should be the CEO of their job. Mm-hmm. So if you're a coordinator, be the CEO of being the coordinator mm-hmm. for social media. Yeah. Don't expect other people to do things for you. Like, don't make assumptions. Yeah. So you know, to me, there's a, a lot of lessons. You know, we have an ethos at the company also around irrational generosity, uh, gratitude, uh, delivering the wow. Mm. Yeah, those are great. What's the last great book you read? Do things 10 times better than you could have, you know, imagined. Uh, the last great book I read. What am I in the middle of? <laughs> I like I'd read like certain chapters in a, in a book and then I'd kind of move on. Yeah. Um, but I'd say, and I read some of my books on, on my iPhone, but. You read Kindle or, or you read the, or, or, or uh, Audible? iPhone. Oh, oh just iBooks. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, the last book that I read that um, I was really blown away by was called The, the Night Circus. Mm. And the author is, I'm not going to forget it, but anyways, Night Circus. Night Circus. And it's about creating the most magical circus on earth. Oh, cool. Nice. I'm going to check that out. Um, who would you be most excited to learn as a fan of yours or of your work? <laughs> Probably Elon Musk. Yeah. That'd be pretty dope. Yeah. No kidding. What's your favorite city to travel to? I would say, like, for me, like, the, I think there's two parts to it. One, you know, I love Rio. Mm. Um, just because the people are effusive. Like, I want to go where people are um, the most authentic. Mm-hmm. And there's the place that you have, like, more passionate people than Rio. Mm-hmm. But then I also like, like, I love, you know, the French Riviera mm. and kind of that whole 
sure. kind of culture as well. Yeah. So uh, I like both sides. One is like you're just going to get in it and all about the passion. Then right. I love getting away from all the hard work and passion <laughs> yeah, and obsession totally. and just like having a glass of like rosé overlooking the Mediterranean. Totally. <laughs> so I'd say like Central Pace, St. Barts. Great. What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Ooh, that's a good one. The TV show, I still, I watch Seinfeld all the time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's unbelievable. The show. <laughs> I watch it to go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Because it's um, like, I know, you know, it's like comforting. Yeah. I would honestly say, I would say The Fifth Element. I watch all the time. Uh, Moulin Rouge. Oh, yeah. Anything like, actually, they're both Luc Besson movies. Oh, yeah. So uh, I really love like Luc Besson, like yeah. the, uh, he's just such a great uh, creator of dreamlike experience. So cool. Yeah. And uh, favorite DJ? Wow. <clears throat> I mean, I grew I, you know, I grew up with different DJs. So like, you know, breaking like French house music in the United States, like Bob Sinclair. Mm. Like getting things out. I remember being like living in New York City and and really like love generation breaking. And that's when I feel like house music became popular culture versus mm -hmm. underground culture yeah. in the U.S. Um, and then, you know, everything from David Guetta. Uh, I'm uh, there's just like a lot of really good, I think, crossover right now. I like to discover music from Europe. And so, like, who the up-and-coming DJs are, who the up-and-coming up lyricists are. We work with a lot of great DJs mm -hmm. at Worlds. We had Marshmallow there. We had Thomas Jack. Um, we have, uh, this year, you know, we had Aoki at Patau. And so, mm -hmm. we work with a lot of the tough DJs. And yeah. uh, I still, you know, can't believe it. It's such an honor to, I mean, all their, a lot, so many, they have tracks. You know, for me, sure. these days, it's even not as much about albums, but just right. certain tracks are, like, like generational. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. So uh, if people want to learn more about Worlds. Yeah, go to uh, Worlds, W-O-R-L-D-Z, as in zebra, dot U-S, dot us. Cool. <laughs> um, it's all about us. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> right now we actually opened it up so you can register and get a ticket there. Okay. Uh, or get a pass. We don't consider them tickets. Uh -huh. It's called the World Pass. Um, it's going to be sold out. So I would just recommend kind of getting there. Everything's pretty much locked. So I would rec recommend uh, getting that before it gets completely full. We sold out last year. And um, I'm just excited about the long-term nature of it. Like, Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited not just for people to come to Worlds, but for them to join this movement and mm -hmm. be on this journey to create what's never been done before and, and Absolutely. take responsibility for what happens in our world. That's so cool. Is there, a, um, is there one channel on social that people should follow if they... They want to stay in touch with worlds. yeah i would i would do it's worlds on facebook yeah and it's worlds tribe on instagram mm -hmm. and i think there's there's good information there nice cool dude thanks for doing this man. This is a lot no of fun. this is a, i love thank, the stories thank you for creating this awesome show that's great and i can't wait to to see worlds i, I am too right on cool. all right that was roman sunder live on rebel radio i hope you enjoyed it uh, make sure you leave us a comment on itunes on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. You can hit our Facebook page and you can watch videos from all of our episodes on youtube.com slash rebel radio net. Most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.